Hello, friends. It's episode four of Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz, our cinematic excursion to the work of the magnificent Filipino actor Vic Diaz. On this episode, we'll be discussing Yamashita, The Tiger's Treasure, a controversial adventure film from 2001, and more importantly, the final performance of Vic Diaz. Hey, everybody. I'm Liam O'Donnell. Joining me, as always, is Canada's Peter Laurie. Doug Tilly. Doug, how are you doing? <laughs> I don't know how to interpret that statement. I mean, Peter Laurie, a very talented actor uh, and director, actually, as well. Uh, so I guess I'll take it as a compliment, even though he's probably best known for his weird voice and look. I mean, <laughs> I just think of him as upsetting, and so that's why you came to mind as a comparison. Is it because you most connect him with playing a child murderer? <laughs> I, honestly, or being mocked in various Looney Tunes. <laughs> it's true. Or even the entire character of Ren from Ren and Stimpy. Oh, I never saw that, but you're right. Like, that's, oh, wow. How could you not have, how could you not have seen that? I, I mean, I saw Ren and Stimpy. I just never made that connection. No, I understand that you saw it, but how could you not have made that connection when he says, you fat, bloated idiot? I mean, he's basically just doing Peter Lorre. (laughs) Cool. You want to talk about all the things from my childhood that I didn't make the cultural connections to white shit? Because that would be fun. That'd be a fun conversation, (laughs) Doug. Why does it always come down to insulting white people (laughs) with you, Liam? (laughs) It's an easy go-to. They always got something to pay for. It's it's endless supply of, of ammo on that one. Um, Liam, it's a bittersweet episode yeah. of whatever happened to Vic Diaz, um, because <laughs> I feel like we might have actually already answered the question, uh, the title of the show posits, which is, this is the final film performance of Vic Diaz we're going to be talking about on this episode. Well, and people might be surprised that we're jumping here, but uh, I think that it's interesting because it's a Filipino production, it's a mm-hmm. more recent production, um, and it sort of uh, breaks up some of the stuff that we've already been doing on the show. Um, also, it was available on Amazon Prime, so I assume uh, you chose this mostly because you're lazy and you didn't feel like finding uh, something that was hard to find. So You know, you know what the, tr- the truth of it is? Is that I was looking through some of Vic Diaz's earlier Filipino movies, and many of them, in fact, a huge majority of them, have never had English translations, which sure. is, I mean, really a failing of um, kind of, of movie preservationists in regards to the Filipino cinematic history uh, and getting that out to the wider world. Then again, I suppose there there's an argument to be made that that a lot of it might not have, uh, I mean, it might not have a wide appeal outside of the Philippines. But I mean, that's part of the reason that you want to translate it is just so people get an idea of the cultural aspects that are in those movies. Yeah, I think that, I mean, don't be wrong. Will we eventually force Doug to learn uh, Tagalog and then he can translate those movies? Yeah, that's the mm-hmm. plan. That's the that's the plan. plan. But until then, we have to make do with what we can. Um, so this movie is called Yamashita, The Tiger's Treasure. And uh, uh, I'm a bit ashamed to admit both me and Doug finished this movie completely ignorant of the fact that Yamashita's gold is a real thing in the real world, not just a plot device in this movie. Doug, what is Yamashita's gold? So basically, it's the idea that at the tail end of World War II, the Japanese had all of this stolen money, this war loot, and they hid it in uh, kind of these obscure islands in the Philippines. So no one knows for sure. It could be in caves or tunnels or something. But this movie posits that a single person knows the location of what what is amount what amounts to trillions of dollars worth of gold and valuables. It's interesting because this is a phenomena that we're largely familiar with. But it it whether the gold itself is real, which experts largely think it's not. the phenomena of thinking it might be real and seeking it out is a pretty big cultural phenomena. And and I don't know how much it's really come into the American consciousness, but at least in the Pacific community, it's something that people have thought sought for for a while. Um, and, you know, obviously no one's found it yet. I'm inclined to think it's real. Doug, do you believe in Yamashita's gold? <laughs> this thing that you've just discovered exists yeah. is something you're inclined yeah. to believe. Yeah, 100%. How do you feel about Doug? You don't believe in hope and uh, the chance to get stolen gold from uh, war criminals? 
I do think there's part of almost every cultural imagination that wants to believe in, like, buried treasure. Because we know that it has existed in some cases, right? So the idea that there is this treasure trove in this piece of land, I mean, knowing how much of the Earth... There isn't a lot of untouched areas of the Earth at this point, but that there might be a place where just by chance, just by luck, you start digging into the ground... And now this unbelievable wealth is yours. I mean, I guess it's kind of tantamount to the American dream of, you know, all you need to do is just get lucky and suddenly you can go from being a schlub like you and I, Liam, to being a a wealthy, productive member of society. Uh, I would love to believe that something like that was true. Actually, I shouldn't say that I'd love it because it does still mean that, you know, these Japanese stole all of this money and hid it. And like, there's a lot of atrocity surrounding this uh, this idea. What I should say is, I still like the uh, romanticism of the idea of these hidden treasures that people could still stumble upon. Just like, you know, when it comes to other areas of interest of mine, like even when it comes to like filmmaking and preservation, the idea that there are movies that, that were considered lost that still get found every couple of years, that, you know, the opportunities for finding that sort of thing are limited because there is, a, in the case of film preservation, they don't last that long. So they, if we don't find them within the next couple of years, maybe there won't be an opportunity to ever find them again. Uh, and so something like this to me, I like the idea that there are people out in the world who believe strongly enough in buried treasure, in Yamashita's gold, that they're out there exploring, that they're out there trying to find it. And as long as they're not destroying natural habitats or upsetting cultures, then, you know, I guess more power to them. I think it's a little different. I actually draw a big distinction between... Um the sorts of buried treasure that we romantically associate with pirates or other things along sure. those lines and more recent sort of uh, war, uh, let's say misappropriated wealth because yeah. in a lot of cases we know the wealth exists. Uh, there are plenty of cases, especially during World War II, where large uh, uh, bounties uh, of uh, various cultural and um, literal treasures went missing and we still don't know where they are so that's true that doesn't mean that literally yamashita's gold is real but if people in southeast asia feel like their resources were taken from them and they can't figure out where they are i have no reason to doubt that i think the the thing that seems unsure is less that that stuff went missing and more that it was buried in the philippines for all we know it's in a ship at the bottom of the pacific or it's in malaysia or indonesia you know what i mean like or or it was melted down and then turned into some other form and then people have benefited from it that aren't the people who originally owned it right so uh i i always think when i hear about treasure hunting stories when it's like you know Bluebeard found an island i'm kind of like yeah whatever (laughs) it's it's so long ago that it's not really relevant but things related to recent wars and by recent i mean you know even 200 years ago i think there's enough there to be like well it's not a waste of time to look but i agree with you the problem is uh folks get so focused on these things that they can become quite destructive and uh while this is a silly kind of adventure movie i think it does seem to be tied to like a real cultural experience and that sort of changes my reception of the movie a little bit because i wonder to what extent if i was thinking of this film as less of a fantasy adventure and more of a um uh you know a historical fiction you know it's it's a fiction but it's related to uh more of a historical sense and, and, and a cultural meaning than I thought of if I would have thought of this movie as, as a little bit differently. I mean, I, there's something to be said about that because the ending of this movie, which we'll get into when we talk about it proper, there is an element of like collective action of people yeah. coming together to stop this this theft of their financial heritage, I guess you could call it, but just this gold that is rightfully belongs to the people of the Philippines. But that then plays into a nationalism, which they actually use that word in the movie uh, itself. But also, there is a anti-Japanese sentiment in this movie, which we'll talk about when we start talking about the movie. That I mean, I'm, I, I from because of the the history that they're talking about seems very uh, understandable. But considering that this movie takes place in modern day, it feels a little uh, unpleasant. Um, but you know, I. I Again, I don't have enough knowledge about the Philippines' relationship with Japan and the historical relationship to be very critical about it. Well, 
we're going to take a break. We're going to come back, talk about Yamashita, The Tiger's Treasure, uh, a film that is controversial, uh, apparently, because of awards it got. Uh, and Doug's going to go ahead and defend the film from uh, the Filipino public and let us know why everyone in the Philippines is wrong. And this movie <laughs> is one of the greatest movies of 2001. So we'll be right back. Naguchi? It's been a long time. Sixty years. From foot soldier to a billionaire. My country has supported me well. <laughs> Even after sixty years, you're still full of crap. Rosarizan, don't be so critical, old friend. Don't call me friend. You're not my friend. And if I believe what I read in the papers, you're filthy rich. Everyone knows your country's rich. What else can you want from me? You have something that belongs to us. Aging Carmelo likes telling his grandson, Jobert, about his youth in the Philippines. Jobert especially likes the stories about Carmelo's time in World War II, where he helped bury the legendary Yamashita treasure. When Carmelo is kidnapped, it is left to Jobert to go to Manila, using his grandfather's diary to find the treasure and save Carmelo before a Japanese crime boss steals the fortune. It's 2001's Yamashita, The Tiger's Treasure, directed by uh, Chido S. Ranio, uh, who also directed Signal Rock in 2018, the 70s and 2002, and a movie mysteriously called T2 in 2009, <laughs> uh, written by Roy Iglesias, who wrote Manila Kingpin, the Asiang Salanga story in 2011, and uh, Baller in 2008, starring Armando Goyena, uh, Delino Barlos, Albert Martinez, uh, Bibi <laughs> Ganda. Oh, man. <clears throat> Bibi Gandangari, uh, Carlo Munoz, Vic Diaz, of course. This is a movie that is meant to be a, a kind of a mashup of a, a historical epic and fun teen adventure. Uh, this movie's been compared to Pearl Harbor. Uh, to me, it it certainly doesn't have that level of historicity to it. Uh, though, to be fair, Pearl Harbor was mostly made up, but it was pretending to be historical at least. <laughs> this film is a strange mixture of possible historical moment, though maybe not, with... A uh, strange, dark teen adventure uh, where a young man who's been uh, away from the Philippines for a long time has to come back only to find out he barely has friends and certainly doesn't have a girlfriend anymore uh, and is, you know, kidnapped by criminals so that he can pressure his grandfather to show them where the gold is. It's a weird movie. Doug, it's I, really I, I want to start with you. What did you think about the uh rollicking adventure that was Yamashita the tiger's treasure it's such a weird movie Liam I mean it really really is because you're right it is this kind of odd mixture of I mean these it's not really a, a historical epic it, it does have this these flashback scenes to World War II which tries to give it some historical perspective and it does have the Yamashita treasure which you know is quote-unquote a real thing that exists within it but a lot of it is supposed to be kind of a rollicking youth adventure maybe like the goonies except a little bit older don't tell mom the babysitter's dead that's what i was (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's a really strange movie simply because there's all this setup you know we have this grandfather who um you know helped bury this treasure uh was shot and then managed to survive during world war ii and now he's a grandfather and he has this his grandson Jobert, and they say Jobert's name a thousand times in this movie, and it gets funnier and funnier for me every time they say it, just because it's just this thing that people are screaming all the time. So this grandfather has this secret, and he has this notebook, this diary, which also has a map in it, of course, and you hear all these elements, and you're like, oh, it's sort of like a, you know, it's like a buried treasure, Indiana Jones-ish type thing, and the movie seems to be like it's going to set up that way, but then there's all these kind of exterior elements, like... The fact that Jobert's parents are involved in this lawsuit because they've uh, they're involved in some sort of like bad deal and they owe millions of dollars and it looks like the setup is going to be oh Jobert and his grandfather are going to go on an adventure get this buried treasure and going to save the family but then his parents are murdered by the Japanese right <laughs> and the grandfather just disappears 
And the grandfather just disappears. And in this case, the Japanese, um, it's it's an older it, it's an older Japanese soldier now, uh, played by Vic Diaz in the movie. And he is supposed to be rich, but he he's rich. But despite that, he also still wants to get the trillions of dollars worth of treasure that he knows the grandfather knows. How I have a question for you, Liam. And sure. I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot. Why don't the Japanese know where it's buried? So, from what I can tell. Uh, the idea here is that most people died. So a a select group were with Yamashita and the Filipino prisoners uh, bearing the treasure. And then only one of the Filipino prisoners escaped. That was Carmelo. And then as the Japanese were themselves escaping from Pearl Harbor, they were caught by the Americans. And so uh, Vic Diaz's character was the only Japanese soldier who survived. So there's this dual survivor versus survivor thing. It's like, you know, and and some question, like almost like they've weaponized survivor's guilt against each other. You know, like what what did you do to be the one who survived? Which is a really, like Vic Diaz makes this accusation to Carmelo, like Carmelo must somehow be compromised in some way. And I'm thinking... But you're the only Japanese soldier who survived. Where is this guilt coming from? I don't understand. Um, but yeah, also Carmelo, the character of Carmelo, the yeah, grandfather. Yeah. He doesn't really have any interest in finding the treasure, None. even though he has gone through this incredible effort to make this map. It, like it's only because I guess of the financial difficulties that the the parents are uh, encountering that he starts to think about this as a as a solution. But it's just like that's a weird thing to keep as a secret for no good reason. For what, 60, 70 years? Well, the suggestion is that the his memories are too painful. That he's yes. not interested in. Oh, in, in fact, it. yeah, there's also a suggestion that he can't remember some of these right. things. Right. And also, you'll notice that uh, they come. So, this is where the movie gets. It's important for y'all to realize there is a American production component where they are shooting in America right. and a Philippines production component. The American production component is confusing because it's unclear that the movie doesn't make enough effort to separate the people who are mad at his parents for whatever horrible financial crime they have committed, which, by the way, it's really clear that they've done something wrong, right? Like (laughs) They've done a really bad thing, and they're (laughs) going to get in trouble, and they've turned state's witness for the U.S. against this foreign bank. Uh, to the point where they're they're thinking about running away to Mexico just to get away from it. Right. And then they are murdered, and at first it's like, were they murdered by the people who have something against them, or were they murdered because of the treasure? And it's eventually made clear later in the movie, but it's revealed so casually, you have to be remind yourself like, oh, that's a big deal, because it wasn't clear who killed his parents. But now I know, because dude with the worst haircut ever has brought it up that he <laughs> murdered his parents. But like that wasn't clear before. Um, because once he's on his own, the issue of the treasure is all that matters. Whoever these people are that like want to come after his parents, they are not on the board. They don't exist anymore. They're not even a concern. We're right. only thinking about the treasure, and the movie just doesn't take the transition seriously enough. So it's really confusing as a viewer. Like, There's a lot of... So anyways, I bring that up, Doug, at this point, only because part of the reason I think he has to pursue the treasure is he knows pursuing the treasure will alert people that he exists and that he has information about it because that's what's happened is in him going to people and saying, if you help me, we could split this treasure and I could use that money, whatever that's alerted all these apparently people who are just in waiting to get the treasure that he exists and that he has this information. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the case. It, it is, there's a surprising amount of English spoken in this movie as well. And I wonder if there's, you know, there's uh, there was an attempt to try to cross over, in terms of interest, this movie, because it is a much larger budgeted movie for the Philippines than you would normally see, even though, you know, compared to Hollywood uh, films, it still is very cheap. Um, you know, there's the, the, I do think that there's an attempt in the making of this to make a very mainstream-ish movie that could be appreciated by audiences all over the world. But in doing that, it comes off as being kind of confused in what it wants to be. Now we we talked you know all I mean, the elements I, that we I talked do, I do want to say quickly that there are certain things that the Philippine actors are saying in English but there is some English in in Tagalog so I don't right, it's right. hard for me mm-hmm. to determine to my ear as an American I was actually surprised when it was full sentences just entirely in English I was mm-hmm. I was surprised but that's because 
I'm not Filipino. So I don't know how common right. that is to just like suddenly say something in English that you didn't necessarily have to. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a really good point. Um, and, and that's also one of the things about doing the show is hopefully we'll be watching more Filipino movies that might give us more of an idea of that. Uh, but it, uh, even the subject matter, I think, is supposed to be, have more universal appeal. You know, just the idea of this boy's own adventure. You know, these right. kids are going on an adventure. But the, the kids don't really... The adventure they don't do is just something they've been, they have no yeah, agency of any kind. That's exactly right. They've been forced onto this adventure. So uh, Jobert's parents are killed and his grandfather is kidnapped and then he and his friends and I shouldn't say his friends necessarily, people he's with at that particular moment including his girlfriend who wants to break up with him and her brother, um they all get taken away and kidnapped as well by these treasure hunters who are experts on the Yamashita treasure. They get put on a boat they are all talking about escaping because it does seem like they're going to be murdered at any time. Uh, but they don't have any control over it, and they're uh, they're brought to the location where it all the things that they were concerned about played out. They were basically being sold to the Japanese uh, because the grandfather won't say anything until he sees his grandson, and then that's how what brings them to the location. And even at that moment, the kids have no ability to to fight back especially anyone except for jobert who's the only person they're interested in in the first place i don't know why they couldn't just let the rest of the kids go at the beginning i felt like they had any information that they could have shared i think they're they it's purely a narrative like we just need to keep these kids in danger but it is worth noting like the weird transitions the film goes through like the, the when we're in america not only is the plot strange because it's focused on the parents so much but even the production level, it felt like uh, a step above, but not a far step above a David Dakota production. Like it just was mm. like rambling. It's it, it's it, there's no real direction. Scenes feel very rough. It really felt like we were watching something for Eric Roberts, you know, and and not something <laughs> for Vic Diaz. Then we get to the Philippines, and for a brief moment, it's like we're in a Hong Kong exploitation movie. Yeah, the, the, the kids are approached by, I guess, what appears to be Filipino intelligence slash special forces. Yeah. Then they are attacked by, I assume, is the Japanese gang, although we never see anyone. So it's never clear yeah. who's trying to kill them, which is would be cool, but it's not played up for any dramatic force later on. It's just there's just bullets. That's all there is. Right. And then there's a big chase scene, and the chase scene is low budget but well done and has a few like really humorous moments in it that are just like kind of ridiculous that it's low budget in that way that that some hong kong movies are ex- low budget right where exactly there's a sense of danger that that comes with it there are a couple moments that actually made me think of uh of uh i think it's ung bak remember ung bak sure. has that scooter thing and at one point the scooter yeah. just like flips or there was stuff like that a van is just on a guardrail and it's just craziness you know and i thought well if this is the vibe for the rest of the film a good hour into the movie let's do it let's have this be the movie is this like off the wall whatever and then they don't do anything with that level of energy and the rest of the movie is motivated either by the drama between these kids which is the worst part of the film for me (laughs) or flashbacks which like man it's a lot of flashbacks and especially the the so the historical nature of the movie would be one thing but it's not clear that these flashbacks are related to actual events or not. Like, are people are are there Filipino folks watching this movie who are older who are identifying with the events? Like, wow, they're portraying this horrible thing that happened to me in my community, or are these events mostly fictionalized? In which case, why are we seeing so much? We've already gotten all the information we need to understand what's going on in the present time, but it's just a constant. Uh, barrage of flashbacks through the end of the movie. Yeah, I, I do think that the production value of the flashbacks is pretty good. Sure. Um, and and it, so in some ways, I didn't mind the fact that it kept switching back because I found that material somewhat more interesting than the modern day material. But that's an interesting point you make. I mean, I imagine it has to have some sort of historical significance. I mean, that the fact... There's a part where in the grandfather's story, which is, you know, it's a really sad story in a lot of ways, where basically all the men in his village are kidnapped and forced into slavery by the Japanese to go do this like hiding of the treasure. And when he survives and comes back to his village, people treat him like he's uh, like a pariah because he's the only man who came back. 
right? And they can't even kind of believe that, you know, what whatever he might have had to do to do it. But, you know, he's like a ghost walking around in this village because he's the only one that's left. And that feels like it comes from a real place or at least a real sentiment. Well, but I think when you're de- depicting this sort of thing in a movie, the best options is either direct recreation or uh-huh. or this is vaguely what happened to other people, so it's believable. Um, this had enough detail in it that I hope it was a direct recreation. If not, people might be thinking like, well, that's not what actually happened. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. It just feels too too specific, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, it also mixes kind of uncomfortably. You know, I, I think they want this to be like how the Nazis are treated in the Indiana Jones movies. While, you know, while there's not really an analog here in terms of the Japanese, you know, where you can just use them as cannon fodder to a certain extent or maybe mock them and, and use them as kind of this goofy but also threatening thing that's in the background at all times. But but I don't know if it really works, particularly because nobody is given much character development here. And that's another thing that I think is really right. frustrating about watching this. Even when it comes to... Um, to like the the annoying kids in it, uh, Jobert's friends right. and, and the people that he's stuck with. It's like you know his girlfriend wanted to break up with him, but like how long has he been in the U.S.? It seems like it's supposed to have been years. With the suggestion he's never going back to the Philippines. Yeah, no, she says at one point that she's she has been with another guy for a year, right? And she just has not broken it off with him. You know, Jobert needs to kind of get the message, and then you get. Her brother, who is kind of the only major comic relief character in the movie, but he's just irritating. And then he has two other friends. One of them is a guy. The only thing we know about him is that he has this, um, what, like a, a good luck charm that he thinks is going to stop him from getting hurt. Well, he's and the, the one guy who's obsessed with the Weekly World News, right? Yeah, well, yeah, that's. I like how you say that because we see him reading it at one point, and that's all we get of his character in the entire movie. He brings up aliens two more times, and that's it. Okay, well, fair enough, right? But I mean, like, there's so little in terms of the development of these characters that, I mean, you how could you possibly care about them? All they are, are these kind of irritating background uh, things that 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 create conflict that never really pays off in any way. I mean, think about the the girlfriend character who has this big argument with Jobert about like finally admitting and he's unable to accept that she's broken up with him. Who cares? You could be murdered at any moment. I think I think um I think I agree with you that the characterization but you you can say this of everyone in the movie though. Like Yeah, absolutely. The treasure hunter barely Except exists. for the grandfather. I mean the grandfather is the only one who gets one because we got right. all those flashbacks, right. right? But even then, we only see the young man grandfather doing stuff. Old man <laughs> grandfather doesn't do much in the movie, really. No. Um I will say the Japanese thing is complicated, I think, because um it's easier for us to resort to Nazis A because it's easier for us to relate to Europe. And so it's easier to understand Europe in a lot of ways. Fair enough. B, because uh, Germany's uh, made a big deal out of apologizing and made a big deal out of like trying to turn their themselves around. And yet, look at the state of South Korean comfort women. As far as Japan is concerned, that didn't happen. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think it's hard because I think the characterizations in this movie is kind of rough, but we can easily name films from China, Korea, other places sure. where mm-hmm. the depiction of Japanese people is far worse, like really offensive. But I think it's also related to this actual trauma that is um, unresolved, unresolved, right? really. And and again, not saying that a state apology resolves that trauma, but it certainly changes the attitude. Um, and, and so I, I just think some of that comes across in how Really, Vic Diaz's character is a stand-in for all of Japan. You know that clearly this this grandfather yelling at him is like you were a monster, like a like a soldier, and now you're this rich criminal, and all you've done is is benefit since the war. And the Vic Diaz character still has this. He, he holds this grudge right. about one of his soldiers, right. his brother-in-law, getting murdered when literally everyone in this, every man in this village. Uh, that that the grandfather was part of was murdered, and he doesn't care about that at all. Well, and I I feel like the grandfather is saying what I think the movie is assuming a lot of the Filipino audience is thinking, which is like, you know, Japan did all this stuff and they paid a horrible price with the atomic bomb, but then they got back on top again, and that they got wealth at least through the eighties right. that the other nations in the area 
were not given access to. You know, there wasn't a tech boom in the Philippines. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I think there's like the, a certain resentment, a cultural resentment there. Um, so it's complicated for us as Americans because it's like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you guys. I guess work it out. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 it's, hard, it's hard to be like, well, I feel like that that portrayal is unfair and it's like yeah it is unfair but it's coming from a place of actual pain it's not like right. our negative portrayals here of uh uh minority communities in our countries that didn't do anything wrong but we want to make sure they know their place it's it's not like that level of relationship it's a different kind of relationship you know and it's so, hard to yell at a a film from a different culture to like to get more woke exactly when we don't even fully understand that trauma right on, on a level that the people would, right? Yeah. It's just that when you see a movie like this, which is more designed in a, for lack of a better word, mainstream entertainment way, uh, it does kind of, of, of stand out where you have most of the movie talking about how kind of naturally evil one nationality is in it. What's weird is the anti-Japanese sentiment in the movie is not why the movie is controversial in the Philippines. No. <laughs> uh, Doug, uh, apparently this movie is a Pearl Harbor ripoff. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? So it's really strange. So this movie won like the Best Picture Award in the Philippines over another movie that was considered, I guess, by a lot of people. Uh, it, was at the, it was at the Metro Manila Film Festival. The Metro Manila Film Festival, right. So it won Best Picture over what was seen as a more deserving winner. And uh, I think a lot of people at the time resented the fact that this kind of more mainstream thing that has no kind of relevance uh, or, or at least larger relevance to the Filipino population won this award. And a lot of the criticism about it was that it was trying to imitate the movie Pearl Harbor, which which came out around that same time period. But the weird thing is, and actually that actually plays out if you go to the IMDb reviews for this. Not the external reviews, which almost none of them exist, but the, some of the uh, internal IMDb reviews. It it like there's one here from July 2002, which would have been right around the time that the controversy would be happening, and it states. This film appears to be a cheap imitation of Hollywood's Pearl Harbor. Both of these films deal with the Second World War. Pearl, Har- Pearl Harbor is, of course, about the Japanese attack on Hawaii, while this movie deals with the Japanese attack on the Philippines, then a largely American-dominated country. But that's not really... Like, this movie doesn't resemble Pearl Harbor at all. There's one, like, minute-long sequence where we see planes, CG planes, and that's another thing to talk about. There is... A bit of CG in this movie, and I mean it's 2001 and it's low budget. What are you What are you supposed to do? But planes are flying over the village and dropping bombs, and there's some explosions. That scene might make you might maybe at the time would make you think about the movie Pearl Harbor, and I guess intentionally so. But that's that's one minute out of a movie that's almost two hours long. I didn't think about Pearl Harbor at all while watching this movie. Well, I think it's worth mentioning that it part of this controversy is probably because of the nature of the film that it beat out. Um, right. So for people who don't know, the Philippines uh, is not just an island. It's a series of islands. And one of those series of islands is the uh, Mindanao. And the Muslim Mindanao uh, w- became an autonomous region in 1989 where uh, part of the Philippines was given s- a certain amount of self-rule because of the majority Muslim population there. And when we when we talk about Muslim populations in uh, the U.S. and probably Canada, too, we tend to think of... Uh, you know, um, Middle Eastern places, uh, but actually, the Philippines, Indonesia, uh, uh, Malaysia. These are some of the fastest growing Muslim populations in the world. And in fact, uh, the creation of the Muslim uh, uh, autonomous region in Mindanao was obviously controversial you know to take any part of a country and give it uh, autonomous rule Uh, and especially for religious reasons there was a feeling that uh maybe this was partly about fear of muslim takeover of the rest of the philippines um Mm. to for people who are interested that region doesn't exist anymore it was uh eliminated under a new sort of redistribution of power in that area um so uh, uh and that went into effect quite recently like a year ago actually so um as far as what's going on there now i'm, I'm no expert but uh i think because this is a contra the, the film that it beat out is itself on a maybe not controversial but at least a, a current social issue i'm sure. sure there was some feeling of like you're just avoiding a tough topic or possibly based upon prejudice against you know this muslim population which is like a surprisingly large population but is still not the majority in the philippines right it's hard not to think that 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 bit of that review that i just read which by the way that review is called a cheap imitation of pearl harbor 
that it's possible, if not likely, that that person never watched this movie. Right. And that this was more a response to the controversy. And we see that in the U.S. all the time as well, right? When when people are looking for a reason not to like something, they'll come up with a reason. And, and I guess people kind of circle around this idea of this Pearl Harbor imitation. But it seems kind of particularly silly now in 2020 because Pearl Harbor, the actual movie, the big Hollywood movie had almost no resonance in terms of its lasting impact on popular culture because it was a bomb and no one really liked it. Yeah, it's a weird comparison. I, again, I'm sure at the time it made sense, but now yeah, exactly. watching it, it's like, pfft. other than World War II and CGI planes, exactly what is the relationship between these two films? And also, like, the World War II element of this is, in. I mean, even though the movie is about characters who were alive in World War II, their flashbacks while Pearl Harbor takes place in World War II. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's just, it's really strange. Uh, we mentioned, or at least I mentioned a little bit, the action scenes in this film. Um, Doug, do you think this film could have uh, done more <laughs> with more of that sort of action in it? I guess that's a loaded question. <laughs> what a strange question. Yeah, no, I wish there was less action in it. <laughs> but you know, what, you know what I mean? Like, there technically there's a lot of things going on in these flashbacks, but the only part of the movie that made me feel alive was this, like, modern, cheesy shootout and car chase. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I guess in some ways those are those are kind of cheaper elements, right? Throwing in action to make it, but I mean, this is at its core an adventure movie, right? It's like an action adventure mystery historical drama. I guess there's a lot of elements involved, but the I think the feeling that they want to create in the audience is, oh wow, I can't wait to see how they get to this hidden gold and what's going to happen with the hidden gold. When they get there, there's a couple of interesting kind of quirks with the movie. One of them involving poison gas, one of them involving the whole um, collection of gold, or at least one of the chambers of gold Buddha statues is set to explode, even though it's not established very well before it happens. But when I say that, it makes it seem like, oh, they're like booby traps, like in the Indiana Jones movies. But that's not really what they're like. We don't know they exist until characters go into them, start choking and die. And it's just like, oh, I guess there's poison gas. And then when we find out that the thing's about to explode. Oh, I guess there's explosives there as well. There's no kind of sense of fun and um, and kind of excitement around the idea of investigation or, um, uh, or discovery uh, in regards to what's happening here, which is what you kind of expect would happen. And, you know, it's really unfair for me to bring up, like, old Steven Spielberg movies or things like The Goonies, whatever you think about those movies, because... There's there's kind of a formula in them, which is really effective, right? Where, you know, like every 20 minutes there has to be a, a chase or an action scene or something like that. And here, the pacing of it feels very foreign. Uh, and maybe that's, that's just because of the fact that this is a foreign film. Uh, and they don't have to kind of uh, fit into those patterns. But I will say that just like you, Leo, when in an hour in, you get these two action scenes back to back, you start to think okay, this movie is starting to deliver on all the setup, and then you have another hour to go where there's really almost no action. Here's the thing for me, too. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to sort of articulate this, but when those action scenes... Well, I I keep saying it in plural because I want it to be plural, but it's one (laughs) extended sequence. Right. There's something fun about... Kids trapped in this scenario and it's out of their control and they're going to do what they can. There's like a whatever there. But there's a real feeling from this movie that the Yamashita gold, right, which is what this movie is referring to, is this real phenomena of this thing that exists. Uh, There's a real feeling that that can't be fun. You know what I mean? That, That the only heritage of the Yamashita gold is death. It was brought mm. there by death. It we we the that's I think that's maybe what we haven't quite articulated that we should before we wrap up here is that I think the final third of this movie is a is a dirge. It's meant to be mm, mournful when his friend uh, with the with the harmonica kills that guy. That's supposed to be it's, it's actually his brother, I believe. I don't think. I oh, think it's, it's his to be. brother, Omar. Yeah, yeah. 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 But the, but the idea is that it's supposed to be mournful. That the whole ending is supposed to be about how nothing good has come from this. And I'm sure that comes from the fact that people actually did search for this thing and probably got hurt 
searching for it. Yeah. Uh, and it also comes from, again, the continued theme of negative emotions towards the Japanese. I think those are all related to each other, all the, those things. But the effect it has on the viewer is, why, do I, why must I suffer because of the crimes of Japan? That's how I felt watching this movie is that like I, it is not just uh, the the suffering of the grandfather or the suffering of the these characters. I must have all the fun sucked out of me so that I learned that I should not go look for this evil tiger gold. And uh, I was never going to go look for it in first place. I don't need this lesson, <laughs> y'all. I don't. I don't need to be taught this lesson. So uh, I, I will say we could probably spend some time talking about all the ways that different actors said. Uh, Jobert, uh, and not jo- and not Jobert, by the way. Which when I saw when I saw the 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 subtitle, I thought, is this name Jobert? But no, they make it really clear it's Jobert. Um, we could probably say a lot about all the different articulations of Jobert, but we really need to focus on the man, Jobert, on the man himself, Vic Diaz, who has a significant but also small role. You know, it's it's yeah, it's definitely a, a memorable and important role, but it's not a very large role uh and we should talk a little bit about his performance doug what did you think about vic diaz in this movie it's so vic diaz in this movie plays naguchi who is the older japanese soldier the only other soldier who is who knows where this treasure is buried he's been relegated to being in a wheelchair um and at one point he has a scene with carmelo where they kind of confront each other after all these years apart and that is probably the highlight of the acting performance of Vic Diaz in this movie. It's kind of sad seeing him, not because of his performance is bad. I actually think he's really good in this, especially considering he's playing Japanese and, you know, it's it's not the most nuanced role in the world. But he, he does look very old. Um, and he, he, you know, is, he's missing teeth and he's in a wheelchair and he looks kind of decrepit. And knowing that this is the final film that he would be in, you know, it's it's kind of bittersweet watching. I'm glad that he he you know he acquits himself very well. I would say actually he might give the best performance this entire movie, which is not a, a movie that is full of great performances. But I mean, certainly he is a memorable character, and it is I guess somewhat fitting that an actor who played all of these various nationalities in so many movies over the years, you know, finishes off his acting career in films playing a Japanese role in a Filipino movie. Um, and no matter what, what your thoughts are regarding people playing different nationalities. So I think he gives a strong, you know, villain performance. It It is interesting to see him closer to the end of his career. You know, it, it the last movie that we watched um, that was kind of closer to this was White Force, which would have been, what, 15 years before this movie or around then. And in that 15 years, he aged quite a bit and... Uh, you know, it's it's a shame that we didn't get more Vic Diaz performances after this, but I'm glad that at least he was able to be in a fairly large budgeted production that was specifically a Filipino production before his death and that he quits himself so well in it. I got to agree with you. And, uh, you know, it is there is a negative element to some extent, but, you know, sure. he's definitely aged a certain amount here. And the fact that despite that, he makes an effort to be in this movie. You know what I mean? Like, there was something hopeful to me. I guess what I mean is, in an American film, rarely would someone let themselves be seen this way. Does right. that make sense? That mm-hmm. that he's clearly aged. He's clearly nearing... Um, he's At least he's getting older. and uh, And he doesn't look as youthful as he might. And I just think a lot of American actors would then choose not to be in a movie. You know what I mean? They would choose not to act. And it's possible that he is bound to that wheelchair and yet he's there and he's doing the work. And so while I prefer seeing a much more, you know, younger, lively Vic Diaz, it gave me a little bit of hope to see him like, wow, look at him just being like, I'm going to do this role in this movie. You know, like I just, there was something about that. And I agree with you. I think it's a pretty strong performance. It's, it's not a great character and there's not much there for him to do other than to try to be menacing. But, uh, but I liked him in that role. And, and, you know, it's not like there's a lot of other people doing solid acting in this movie. So, uh, he he stands out. I will say that one of the unfortunate things about this character is that he doesn't really get a satisfying comeuppance at the end. Uh, we do see his, I guess he's he's like surrounded by someone in the 
like a police officer or something who protects him, though that's not really established well, then we see that person get arrested at the end, and we're supposed to think, oh, he's being brought down, but we never really see him, like, quake and fair or anything like that. Um, and we didn't really talk about, like, the very end of the movie. You're right that it has this kind of tone of, of kind of, of, of like, do not s- uh, seek this treasure for it'll just kind of, you know, there's kind of a curse, <laughs> I guess you'd say, connected to it. But what happens is, after the grandfather is blown up along with some of the Japanese in um, looking after this, this the remainder of the treasure, much of it has already been collected and shipped off in these trucks. And we get these sequences of uh, Jobert reaches out to a reporter that he knows. She announces to the world that these trucks are coming, to, uh, to the world, to the Philippines, and people flood the streets to stop these these vehicles and to kind of stop the, 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 the money from going to the Japanese, and I guess bring it back to the Filipino government, it's really interesting in the sense of what it's trying to say, right? The idea of kind of like, if we rise up together, we can take back this thing that is owed to us. There is certainly a feeling of that when you're watching it at the very end of the movie. But yeah, it is kind of a shame that this character that is presented as pure evil, he's only kind of, you don't know if he ever goes to jail. You don't know if he ever, you know, feels remorse or anything along those lines. You just sort of kind of get a secondhand embarrassment of one of his confidants getting arrested. Yeah, it's not the, maybe not quite the the way we like to see it end, but I will say I was glad to see it end. So there you go. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks everyone for listening to this episode. Uh, On our next episode, we're going to be talking about Wonder Women from 1973. The most deadly women who ever stalked the earth. <laughs> what a strange tagline. <laughs> That's what it says. I'm just going off the tagline, man. For, for those who are not reading what we're reading right now, it's not the most deadly women who space ever stalked the earth. It's the most deadly women who ever stalked the earth. It's I so know. strange. <laughs> That, that's just a cop. That's got to be just a copy mistake. <laughs> Anyways, hey, thanks for listening. Uh, Doug, if people want to find us on the internet, wh- where would they look? Uh, first, I just want to reiterate that Yamashita, the Tiger's Trail, can be watched on Amazon Prime if you're in the yep. U.S. right now. Uh, so, you know, it, this is a movie that for, I would say, Western audiences is fairly obscure. So it was good that we're able to find it in kind of a, an available place. It is kind of weird uh, in that it's, it its aspect ratio keeps switching. Did you notice that while you were watching it, Liam? I I did. I, well, not the first time, but after a while, I was like, something's different. I had to rewind a little bit to check it out. Uh, I don't know if that was a production thing. Like, I kind of felt it's, like maybe they didn't have all the original elements for whatever this version was. It kind of felt like every time a special effect was on on screen, it went to now. When I say widescreen, it's still in four by three, but basically you get black bars on the top and bottom. Right. Uh, so the movie itself is still in four by three the entire time. Just something to keep in mind for those who are watching. It also, on the subtitles Prime. are not entirely accurate. Uh, not <laughs> not not true. because I can I know Tagalog and I can tell <laughs> that they're no, but I mean they're not uh, entirely. English coherent. So right. be prepared to do a little bit of thinking when it comes to figuring out what people are saying. Yeah. I mean, it's still coherent or as coherent as the movie is as a whole, but that's a really good thing to mention, Liam, because I was confused about what characters meant to say uh, several times throughout the movie. Yeah. So, Doug, if people want to keep up with us across the various interwebs, where would they go? Well, uh, you can go over to Cinepunks.com, where you can check out a whole bunch of interesting podcasts, as well as the latest episode of Cinema Smorgasbord. If you want to check out all of Cinema Smorgasbord's episodes and uh, subscribe to us on various services, you can go over to Cinemasmorgasbord.com. You can also find us on Twitter, at Cinemasmorg, that's S-M-O-R-G, or do a search for Cinema Smorgasbord on Facebook. There's a group for for that as well. You can uh, recommend future podcasts or future topics for podcasts. Check us all out. We have podcasts devoted to actors as diverse as Steve Buscemi, Carol Kane, Vic Diaz, of course, Jackie Chan, and more. Check us out, and why don't you uh, leave us a review on iTunes? We'd appreciate it very much. And, of course, you can find Liam on Twitter. Liam, what are you on Twitter? At Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z. Don't worry about it. You don't want to do it. You do want to do it. You want to check out how uh, how frustrated Liam is and how difficult he's finding his recent move. <laughs> it's the worst. It's fucking <laughs> torture i hate it so much (laughs) and you can follow me on twitter as well that's doug underscore tilly that's t-i-l-l-e-y i was gonna do the exit of the uh the episode liam but then i forgot that you're the host so you should probably do that i was just gonna leave you hanging for a second just to see if it made you uncomfortable (laughs) 
Well, thanks everyone for tuning in to yet another episode. We're really glad uh, to be able to explore Vic Diaz's uh, film career with you, and we'll see you again next time. Oh, the gold.